Here we go. Hey, guys, this is Doug Fletcher, and it is uh, October 8th, Friday, October 8th, here in Omaha, Nebraska. You're listening to What's the Hazard, so thanks for joining us. Um, uh, beautiful day, actually. I'm sitting uh, facing the window. Thank you for that, Cam. And uh, the leaves are starting to turn. It's beautiful outside, so this is going to be a nice hour for me. You, on the other hand, Cody, you're staring at me. I was so. going to say, yeah, my, my viewpoint <laughs> is staring at you. So My it's... apologies. <laughs> Hey, before we get started, I, I need to thank our sponsors. We have a new sponsor, and uh, that's very exciting for us, NECA. Uh, the Nebraska chapter of the National Electrical Contractors Association has joined the the fight for uh, workplace safety, or at least from a sponsor, sponsorship standpoint, so thank you guys for that. CCS Group, Custom Concrete Specialists, Cheyenne Wolford and all the folks at CCS Group, Fallowich Construction, my buddy John Fallowich. And the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group, Jim Cover, and all the folks that are out there doing it for free. Well, I th- I'm sure they're getting paid, but they're offering their services for free. I think that's how it works. So thank you, everybody. We appreciate it. Uh, you are true believers in the cause, and your support is much appreciated. Uh, we also have a small business to spotlight. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with these guys or not, but they were on the podcast a few weeks ago, Wicked OSHA. It's a new. It's a small business that is um, designed to provide assistance to small contractors, other small businesses that need help with tracking documentation and training and all of those things, safety programs. I mean, really outstanding. I was really uh, impressed by the program and what the thought that had gone into the development of this program. Mark McClure is one of the technical advisors, good friend of mine, and an excellent safety guy. So. I'm not surprised, but it is really outstanding. So go to wickedosha.com, check it out. I think if you are a small contractor and you've struggled with this OSHA stuff, I think this will be a really valuable tool in your in your toolbox. So absolutely, give it a ch- you know check it out, and then, uh, I'd like you to check it out and let, just let me know what you think of it. Yeah, sometime you too. know, because you get a bunch of the you know the smaller contractors when they get bids to go into bigger companies like mine. You know, we want to see all the programs and absolutely. all the documentation. That's part of the that's a prerequisite of even right. getting in. And so a lot of the a lot of times those companies don't have that or yeah. the, nothing up to standard. And yeah, what a great. What a great idea. Yeah, I think it would be really useful. Um, so, yeah, check it out. I think I think um, I would certainly be interested in hearing what people think of it. And I, I, I was impressed by it. So, uh, so my guest, obviously, you've heard him uh, a couple of times now, Cody Hoover. Uh, the e- Are you the EHS manager? What's your title, man? Um, I mean, who knows? It's, it's senior safety manager right okay. now, but I'm, I'm kind of – is that a reflection? Like, of, are you forty yet? You're I, like I a, guess I don't know. I mean, you're not forty years old, are you? No, no, not even. Close. No, just kidding. I'm thirty. I'll be thirty-five <laughs> okay, soon. Bro. But I kind of hit all the regions now, all the plants. Oh, I, I'm kind of okay. there for support. So my home base is in Underwood, but I'm every week I'm traveling. Somewhere. Okay, so senior safety manager with Jack Links. Yep, and uh, I'm a big fan of Jack Links. In fact, and and you were kind enough to bring me a a taste, and maybe I'll package. share a little bit with Cam. Are you a Jack Links fan, man? Okay, we'll share a little bit with Cam. I, should, I, I, like, I, I like some good old beef jerky for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got some down in the car. I'll run down and get it. So it's good to see you, buddy. It's been a while. Yeah, it's good to see you. How are things going? 
It's going well. Uh, You guys are busy, it sounds like. We're busy. Um, This year, I think we talked about our leading indicators initiative back in like Mm -hmm. January or Mm -hmm. something. Last time we spoke. Yeah, and uh, so we've been been doing all of those. We've been been executing all of those. We are at zero recordables. We are down 37% on incidents reported. Is that for the calendar year? For the calendar year. Oh, man, that's impressive. Um, We're down 42% with property damage just because we've identified a lot of gaps in our our documentation, our Mm -hmm. processes, and... And so it's just been a really good year. Um, so, so talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So you've identified gaps in your processes. Yeah. What, what are you referring to? So we, would, we started this thing called a task engagement, um, team member engagement, where we are documenting time spent out on the floor, and it's really just to, to get to know them. You know, we talked about, you know, how do we change culture? We talked about building that relationship but still uh, keeping people accountable. And you can't have one or the other. Mm-hmm. And safety mm-hmm. people tend to have a lot of high accountability and, and zero relationship. Yeah, and so that's why we, mm-hmm. that's why they kind of struggle with the culture build. Mm-hmm. And so this is to kind of if if we're not doing so well on the relationship part, this forced us to go out there and work with the team, talk with the team, kind of understand the barriers, kind of see what they're doing on a day to day because we have an idea what they're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. and and what we're what we saw was a lot of drift. And that, mm-hmm. and not not all of it was bad. It was just they were doing something different than what we thought. And gotcha. and so, getting their kind of feedback on this, we were able to do just a simple risk assessment and determine, yeah, this is actually a better way to do this than the old fashioned way. And then I think we just were building that trust. And so we continue to do this. We spend about probably 10, uh, 10 hours, fifteen hours of document time out on the floor, just because we know that that's a, an important piece to to building this the safety culture. Building so, that trust. So you are so you are then establishing this engagement, this interaction as a, some type of like a, a performance criteria or something? Or yeah. An expectation that you are going to spend this time out there just yep. interacting? Yep, just talking to them. And there's a I couple of things that, that we, we talk about um, that we always want to hit up, and we always want to talk about the importance of injury reporting, any mm-hmm. sort of body discomfort. Mm-hmm. Please come talk to us first. We've had team members who, when once we said that, they would mention, "Oh, hey, you know, my shoulder's been kind of bothering me since yesterday." Perfect. Let's let's fi- figure out what was the cause of that, and then we can kind of move them into a spot that's um, going to be less impactful on their shoulder to get mm-hmm. them to heal a little bit mm-hmm. quicker. Which is perfectly legitimate, yeah. man. Right? Yeah. I mean, that early intervention piece. Exactly. So, uh, so I, this is really interesting that you say that because I was at a at a networking function yesterday. I'm part of this Encore Safety Network, and we had a, an activity yesterday, a kind of a face to face. And somebody mentioned to me our buddy Jim Steele down at Airlight Plastics. Yeah. And and Airlight is, well, actually, we're talking about make you safe. Those little wearables. Have you ever seen those? I haven't. This would be something that you would really be interested. In. I need to hook you up with Tom over there. But they have these little uh, wearable devices that track all sorts of data, environmental data, motions data, all sorts of things. Really interesting stuff. And as a data guy, you would really find this fascinating. But one of the things that so Airlight is using these devices, and one of the things that they want is more manager-employee interface. Yep. And so they're going to start tracking that amount of manager-employee interface because, Great. as you just described, there are a lot of managers perhaps that just that's not their strength, perhaps right. that's not their forte necessarily, yep. but it's such a critical piece yeah. that unless you're actually quantifying it, you may not realize how little you're getting or how much you're getting. 
mm-hmm. whatever that case might be. I think that's really that interesting. That is really cool, and I think that's an important piece, for not only just for safety, but for, for retention pieces Every, as everything. well. Everything. So um, they did a uh, – um, they kind of did a mid-year review on the team members' perspective on safety quality costs, all this, you know, all these metrics, and safety scored the highest out of five. We were given a four point eight just because of all the engagements that we've been doing this nice. year. Um, we we've been consistent. We we said what, we were doing what we said that we were going to do, and I, I think people, uh, our team members, especially at, at Underwood and Lorenz, really appreciated that. That I love that. To that. So, yeah. I, I loved your description of that drift, too. I've never heard that term used before to yeah. describe slightly deviating from yeah. the expected, maybe. I mean, yeah. that's, a great, that's a great description, man. Um, this is really interesting stuff. And we had talked about discussing SIFs mm-hmm. today, um, which is something that I'm fascinated by. Yeah. You guys are actually working on. Talk a little bit about what a SIF is and what you guys are proposing yeah. to do I'm, or I'm going to try to make this like as less complicated yeah, as please it is because you, yeah. you know it, it's it gets super it complicated. Gets very complicated and so what this but there are basic principles basic principles here. of SIFs are that there are things and there are events that occur inside the workplace that have the reasonable uh, potential to cause life-altering and life-threatening um, harm to mm-hmm. your employees your team members at the work site and it's our job to identify them, right. get the, the um, uh, contextual uh, factors, any contributing factors, all of that, and try mm-hmm. to find the root cause and put in controls that are going to either eliminate that from happening again or there's going to be some sort of um, – uh, we, would, we would always kind of – I don't even know how to say um, – always go back to – uh, checking on it, kind of okay. auditing that system, okay. paying attention to it. Exactly. So okay. yeah. So it's, so what is a SIF? What does that? What is that? Yeah, acronym? let's define that. It's a serious injury fatality. Okay. So that's a SIF, and then a SIF P or P SIF. I've seen, I've heard of either mm-hmm. way is the potential. The P stands for the potential. Okay. And so um, what we do, what we know from SIF P's is that every incident that has occurred in your facility, about twenty percent on average, has that SIF P potential. And about 20%. About 20%. Right, that's what I've heard. Yeah. And so, I, uh, I, you know, we've all been taught the Heinrichs pyramid. Mm-hmm. Sure. If you, if you stem it from the, if you can stem it from the bottom, you, we will less likely see an event occurring. And fundamentally, that is flawed when it comes to CFPs. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's going to be a near miss. And if there was probably one more thing in play, then it would probably end up into a fatality mm-hmm. or life-altering situation. Mm-hmm. So it's going to skip pretty much every sort of, um, uh, other, you know, stage that we would normally mm-hmm. see like a near miss or a, an, a minor incident or just go seri- right, yeah, to, go the right to the serious. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, there's a lot that goes involved with that. And so once, uh, we went back in data tr- or tracked how much, you know, what was our SIFs, our CFPs, and it wasn't exactly 20%, I think it was maybe 7%. So, so let's, let's talk about this. So you were talking about a population of incidents. Yep. These could be near misses. They might even be first aid. Yeah. Something, you know, minor incidents. Say your your entire population over the course of a year. Yep. And you were analyzing those to determine whether or not they had the potential to be SIFs. Yeah. What a likelihood, perhaps, or could have been had those other circumstances come into play, perhaps. Exactly. And they have to be reasonable. I think this is where safety people need to, and I've seen safety people get in trouble with, mm-hmm. is that they'll jump into like the most extreme, oh, yeah. less likely. So we have to look at it 
you know, what could have reasonably happened, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, not everything. I think we treat all injuries the same. Um, and with SIFs, you have to treat them a little bit different. And, right. and so you're going to have to kind of think outside the box. So this is, this is so funny, man. So when I were, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, you're you fine. Know how I am. But so when I was with OSHA, when we would identify a hazard, something that we believed was a violation of a regulation, we were going to cite it. We went through this, this mental exercise of, you know, determining how serious it was and the probability of an event occurring, yep. you know? So we had to describe it as either high, high serious, medium serious, low serious, based on the potential outcome. And every, you know, there were guys at OSHA that every, pot every potential issue was death. <laughs> you know, what is the worst outcome? Death. Yep. Man, you're talking about, you know, there was like, uh, there was some grease on the floor. Death, man. Yep. If you fell and you hit your head just right, you would die, you know I mean? And again, like what you're saying, that does, that's not a useful no. exercise. To, we need to be reasonable in determining. So give me an example of something. Yeah. Do you have anything that you yeah, can we do. point so, to that might be a SIF or something you would consider? Yeah, so what um, we, we actually review this as a company. Um, okay. This year, we've been reviewing all CFPs as a company. So whenever there was a near miss, whenever there was an incident that had that potential, we would meet as a company that that's the safety leader at that site would have to put together um, a an investigation with their team, uh, all contributing factors and corrective actions and that need to be put in place to prevent this from happening again. And then it's up to, and we send it out to the rest of the other plants to say, this was identified, let's say, in, in Mankato. You have to now look at it in your plant, and you have to report back to me what you have done to ensure that this won't happen at your plant. Okay. And so that's that one important thing of a CFP for it to work is you have to get leadership buy-in. So we have our executive um, uh, VP from operations who's at every one of those meetings. We okay. have our director of operations, our safety director. There's a lot of higher-up uh, people deal. at stake. Yeah, so we're treating this as an actual incident mm -hmm. that occurred. And so we're getting a lot of buy-in. So that's another critical piece is to, to so sell it, this. Does it, is it mandatory that it actually be an incident, a near miss even? Or is this something you may have even just identified like a – you've identified a hazard out yep. in the workplace and now you're evaluating that to determine whether this is a – Exactly. There's, there's different branches that we can take. We can we can wait, rely on the lagging, which we can you can data track, you know, mm -hmm. go back to your data and, and understand what happened. Um, and then you can just, you should have an idea of where those areas are at. So we know that, you know, they, they PM dock plates uh, all mm -hmm, the time. Mm -hmm. We know that dock plates are extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. We've identified that as a CFP. Mm -hmm. And so we put in a lot of these controls in place, some administrative, um, some a little bit, I would say not super engineering because it's kind of hard to engineer that, that piece out. Right. Um, but uh, we put in tighter controls so that way there is no there's going to be no drift from or deviation mm -hmm. from this sort of SOP. This is the SOP that we've written. We've stamped it as an SIFP. So they, the team members have been made aware of this. They understand that there's a checklist that they have to follow. They, it's kind of now a, a they let us know when they're going to be doing it, and we just ensure that they're following everything okay. that they're supposed to. Gotcha. So, yeah, there's two roads you can go lagging indicator out, or you can start identifying just the ones that you know. And there's going to be ones that pop up, which is fine, but – we, the the way that we handle it after it occurs is going to be critical. Mm -hmm. So if we don't do anything and we treat it like the Heinrich pyramid, then something it could occur. It may mm -hmm. not occur during the time that you're there, but it could occur. Yeah, so. interesting. And so you said that 
in your analysis, it wasn't quite that 20, 21% that we yeah. read about in the white paper. Right. And um, so what, what were you seeing more or less? We're seeing less. It was like 7%. It wasn't oh, really? very okay, high. Good. Well, yeah. that's good. Actually. Yeah, that's great. And, and so, but we were identifying things uh, leading wise that would say like, okay, so intersections with PIVs. We know that that's a big one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know like pedestrian pedestrians and uh, like powered industrial truck intersections. Exactly. You know, those inter- I, I agree, man. Those so are- that's one that, you know, we, everyone's like, well, they should know better. And, that's not going to be a good excuse, (laughs) you know, so that's not appropriate. So what can we put in place? And so we have this audited every single week. We, on our task engagement, we go out and look at the high traffic areas, um, part of our task engagement as well. Um, So there, there's a lot of checks and balances to ensure that, you know, team members are doing the right thing. It's a constant reminder, not every day, but every once in a while, it's, it's more than the one year, I Mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but to identify a SIF, which we kind of talked about, mm-hmm. there are a couple things that need a few things. They're precursors. One, it has to be a high hazard uh, sort of situation. Mm-hmm. So you know that's that's going to be number one. Number two, there's uh, there would be a um, a failure of uh, management systems, safety management systems, and then three would be allowed to continue. And allowed to continue could be the fact that the um, the the team the supervisor, the manager, doesn't really understand the risk that's involved. It, at no fault to them. You know, mm-hmm. we, we should, we're looking at it through a different lens, and it's our job to educate right. what that, that hazard is. And so uh, it's important that once it's been allowed to continue, it's not because they're just, they, they want to be defiant. It's because they haven't really looked at that as a very risky situation. That's a great point. Yeah. And yeah, that perception makes a lot of difference. Yeah. Or, or the, the procedure is outdated or it's they, they've drifted so far because, once again, it's too complicated. We, we've seen that many times where, where safety people like to complicate a lot of stuff to make them look good. But in realistic, mm-hmm. or realistically speaking, it, it actually makes things a lot worse. Yeah, it does. And so um, that's when I say allowed to continue. It's not the, de- it's not the defiance um, per se. It's going to be the fact that we just need to educate them a right. lot more. Just maybe an ignorance or just, uh, yeah. just, uh, just that you don't perceive it as, as hazardous as, as we would through exactly. our lens perhaps. Yep. And so that's, it's important to educate them. That's great. And, and so once you've identified those precursors in a, in a an event and a process that you're doing, then you know that, Hey, I need to put something in place. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you don't do anything, then you're just that, that probability of something occurring that's a lot more serious is going to be high. And so they can't just be like, well, I, I didn't realize they were going to do this. It's, that's not an excuse. I mean, mm-hmm. if we, we're always busy at Jack Links and, and we find time out on the floor, we find time to, to redo processes. And, and so I think everybody has that time. We just mm-hmm. need to build it into our, our yeah, day-to-day routine. No so let's talk. So as an example, just so I can get this clear in my own head. So if we're looking for these precursors, are we talking about things like Say, for example, welding. You know, a welding is a basic activity that takes, you know, maintenance activity takes place a lot. But now I'm welding in a confined space or I'm welding at elevation. I'm Mm -hmm. up on an elevated surface or something welding. So that's changed the the potential for a serious outcome. Is that kind of what you're talking about or it can be depending upon what they're well, you know, if it's in a confined space, you know, we have that that permit, Mm -hmm. you know, to go into a permit Mm -hmm. required confined space. Um, but we, that should that should still be identified as a CFP because we need to go in there and just make sure 
Because we, we may sign the permit, but we're my, not necessarily making sure that the procedure is still as strong as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think a lot of times, and, and it's, you know, at the Campbell Institute or DECRA, mm-hmm. they'll say that the the worst thing that we can do is try to train the, the employee and try to fix the employee. Right. And it's real. It's never the it's not the employee's fault. And we have to understand that, you know, it's not going to be a simple train. And then I'll see you next year. It's going to be constant reminder. If we can't right. put in a high, you know, in a, the hierarchy, yeah. Obviously. If we have to put in administrative controls because of, you know, confined space welding, if we can't find something else that's better to do that, then then we need to ensure that the process is strong. We need to ensure that the permit is strong. I mean, we have to we have a stake in that um, mm-hmm. moving forward. And once you identify that as a uh, SIFP, SIFP, mm-hmm. so um, yeah. So let's talk about that too. So SIFPs, no, so. In your example, say that you've looked at a hundred, you know, incidents during your analysis, and mm-hmm. you've identified seven percent, approximately, yeah. of those one hundred incidents that you believe qualified as a SIFP. There was a potential then, if we had a bad outcome for you know fatality or serious injury, so seven percent. And so now you have you've actually then either reevaluated the process or. A, or uh, re-evaluated the controls for those processes, mm-hmm. perhaps, and you've increased visibility through this heightened training and all these different things to try to bring attention to those. Are you worried about, like, SIF fatigue? I mean, is there a, is there a risk that if you had too many of these, mm-hmm. that it would all just become background noise again it could be just I mean, like yeah it could be like the is it's the flavor of the now week seven that, doesn't seem like a huge no, no, a, a percentage to yeah. deal with um i'm gonna say no because of the way that sifps are defined because let's say a, a person breaks their arm in our minds that's a serious injury on the mm-hmm. hierarchy mm-hmm. but an sif depending upon what happened or the you know what could have led up to those events that might not fall under an sifp right so remember it has to be life altering right or death essentially and so once you can really once you narrow down that piece right there then i mean it shouldn't you're really attacking just a really small number of things of of processes of potential near misses and and if they're treated as such you know and with the you know um with the executives and at stake of this then i i believe or what we've seen so far is a, a really good um, outcome um, this year. I mean, come, let's talk next year and see if we. <laughs> I, I don't. Let's do. I don't see if we have right now. I don't. I don't foresee us having any sort of fatigue. Um, okay. But who kn- who knows? Yeah, we will talk next year because it's interesting, and you're one of the people that actually tracks this stuff. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's easy to say we're going to do this and it's going to have an effect, and you know, a year later you have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not a great way to approach uh, making some of these changes, but. So that was a good point. The SIF, a broken arm. Yeah, we all would, we would all take that seriously. Yeah, but you could fall, you could slip on the curb in the parking lot and fall and break your arm. And right? Does that warrant you know this heightened level of peace? No, I Absolutely wouldn't think not. so either. You nope. know, we're not talking about slip fall broken arm issues here. No. If you were to slip and fall on a on a platform and fall into you know, dangerous equipment Fall or something. Fall off ladder because you're using incorrectly. Yes, now you're ground up into some type of a grinder or yeah. pulverizer or something. That's a different story. Yeah. But we just did one on a ladder. A team member, a near miss. A team member was on the the top rung, almost on the cap, doing his work uh, on the off to the side, and um, 
you know, because this is a pretty new concept with our with our safety managers at the other sites, I he kind of just brought it up to me during just our one-on-one, and I'm like, hey, yeah, let's get this into a CFP, and and yeah, there there was a lot of issues going on with with uh, ladders and ladder training and the right ladder for the job, and you know, we could have probably got the right ladder, but it's still kind of unsafe, and so we actually just got approved for those little waves, you know, those little um, crown waves. And because oh, that's yeah, really, yeah. yeah, that's really what we needed for mm-hmm. those areas. And so that got approved through yeah. our executive VP. That's nice. why it's important that they're there. And so we shouldn't see this issue. Um, I like that. At Working Heights. So that's that's a control that was uh, more than just administrative. I would mm-hmm. say it's more of an elimination control because you're eliminating had, uh, mm-hmm. ladder use. You're using something a lot safer, more stable. Definitely. So that's a job. Yeah, so, ladders suck, man. Yeah, they, I Let's hate Let's face them. it. I mean, working from ladders is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Everybody in this room has fallen from a ladder at some point, yeah. you know, it's just, you should see me at Christmas. We have a 12 foot obnoxious 12 foot Christmas tree at home. And I don't have the right ladder at height, <laughs> but I have my wife screaming at me about getting these darn freaking star up there and all this other crap mm-hmm. up there. So I'm kind of holding on to the top of the, the, um, the, the fireplace, trying to put these bulbs in place to stabilize myself. If I go, it's either into the tree or onto the, fireplace i would say my wife would probably make me choose a fireplace <laughs> right. so i don't ruin the tree fall on the fireplace <laughs> yeah. damn it yeah. yeah i totally get it yeah. man. i can remember when when my wife and i first got married we we had a little split entry house you know that starter house i loved that house mm-hmm. but i had to paint or like i was taking off wallpaper or something in that entryway and so I had to build this kind of makeshift scaffold ladder concoction in that split entry so I could get over there to take off this. Remember that like grass hairy kind of wallpaper stuff from the seventies. I'm, I'm 34. What's wallpaper? So. Yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, I, I have no skills other than I can take off wallpaper because if you pay a guy to take off wallpaper, like your painter, it's like they charge you like fifty bucks an hour because oh, everybody sure. hates taking yeah, off wallpaper. Yeah. Why not? So yeah. that's about all I can actually do as a home project. Take off wallpaper and paint. And I've taken off a lot of wallpaper, <laughs> man, in my hundred years or whatever it's been. <laughs> so let's get back to the SIF stuff. Yeah. So, so you have – how long have you guys been working this um, we at talk, this level of detail? We talked about it last year, and then in January 2021, we put it into play. Okay. And we we're just going to see how it works. And it was really, it's still, the concept is still pretty new to mm-hmm. a lot of our safety managers. It's, I think it's a, it's not a new concept. It's mm-hmm. just not done a lot of places that I've seen or not, networked with. And, and it's such a good tool, but you need a lot of things in place in order for this to work effectively. You can't just go in and say, I want to run this CFP. Mm-hmm. And then I need you, you, like you're a salesman at this point and trying to sell them why it's important. Um, and, and I would always tell our safety people is do not talk about OSHA on this one. This is all about company safety. This is about, uh, heightening our awareness. This is about understanding our processes in a lot more, in a lot more granular setting. And once you use OSHA, people tend to just turn you off, right? Mm -hmm. They're just like, nope. Okay. Whatever. Yep. I would agree with that. So always, always refrain from using um, OSHA on this one. But yeah, so the concept was new. And for our team, uh, just getting kind of leading them to that. That's why another reason why I was traveling a lot is kind mm-hmm. of using that, going through all, everyone's data and identifying some possibly precursors from their incidents mm-hmm. that may fit into that SIFP. Um, and, and so what training have you given these folks? Have you just done internal training? Just internal training. So discussing just, I mean, like you referenced, you know, 
the Campbell Institute, the Decra, Decra yeah. Research, that kind of they have great webinars. So I would encourage oh, anybody be, to. I've not done to, web, I've read the papers, but I've not done a webinar. They're they're really really good, and it just kind of gives a, a really way better than how I can present mm-hmm. it. Probably. How, how, um, how would you find that? What would you would you search under it's Decra? On YouTube, it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's about two hours long. But okay. it's, it's great. They have other safety directors from um, you know really big companies that uh, speak on how they utilize uh, SIFPs, um, and and it, it's just it's really cool. And they talk about the neuroscience of safety, which is really important too. And um, it's it's uh, I I, uh, I sent those webinars to my team, good, just so that way they can get a little bit better understanding. Okay, and then I'm there just to kind of answer questions. I, I think we might maybe we can post the post that link or something yeah. in the episode notes or put it on the website or something. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I think that would be interesting for sure. I'll have to look at that. I have read the papers. Yeah, the papers are good. And I found that interesting. And I, I remember even back in the old days when I used to work with the Cargill folks, because I think Cargill was one of the players involved in yep, that initial study, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And they, they were so they were really into that at the time. But I agree with you. I don't know that very many people do this yeah. with any level of uh, scrutiny, really, with right. any level of intensity. They might, you we, know, that could have been bad. Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's just because we... I think everyone assumes that the thing, the worst thing could have possibly happened. And I think we need to recalibrate our thinking and just understand that we can't treat every single incident the exact same. We have to look at what reasonable steps could have occurred to, to lead to this. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you are still coming to, well, death and death on all of these, and you're mm-hmm. at, not at 20%, but you're at 90%, well, either you have an extremely unsafe plan, <laughs> right, or you may have just mm-hmm. thought a little bit too hard that something could occur. I mean, a yeah. plane could fall on us right now, right. but we're not doing anything to stop and, it. And that's so. interesting. That, that Actually, that's an interesting point, too. And what, how do you deal with this? When you, you've identified something that, you know, that the severity of the outcome is death or certainly mm-hmm. serious, you know, incapacitating injury, but the probability is so low. It's like an, you know, so the satellite comes out of orbit and hits me while I'm driving home at the end mm-hmm. of the day. That would probably be bad, you know, something coming out of orbit at 18,000 miles an hour would have probably hurt me. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, the likelihood is pretty low. Right. So is that part of the consideration? Yeah, or? you have to use a risk, you know, your, your matrix, your typical mm-hmm. risk matrix, yeah, frequency and severity. So okay. if, the, if the severity is still really high but the frequency is very unlikely – or very remote, then maybe we don't treat it as an SIFP. Mm-hmm. You know, it still doesn't mean you don't address it in mm-hmm. some sort right. of capacity, but right. you don't need to get the executive VP saying, I need to spend a million dollars on this. Like because kind of, of like yeah. satellite falling out of orbit exactly. shield or something. Yeah. We don't need that we just could, yet. We could pro- they could probably make it, but, you know, right. there's probably no ROI that's but I mean, going to be in, in all seriousness, that's, that's, that is the consideration. Right. And you have to rank them, prioritize them in that fashion. Yeah. You know, yeah. so anything that would qualify under the SIF category and then a reasonable probability reasonable or whatever, whatever you'd make that, whatever that criteria is yeah. for you. Yeah. So slipping on the, on the ground and breaking your arm, could they hit their head and die? Absolutely. But likelihood is still pretty low. Now a team member at our facility who, a, a forklift operator who doesn't stop at a, at a intersection, it almost hits a team member. Well, we have hundreds of forklifts going through there every day. Mm-hmm. Probability is very high if they if they're not understanding where they need to stop right. or all that kind of stuff. So yeah, okay. And we need to focus our attention on that versus spending our time on how do we get people to walk better 
you know, like yeah. they're, they're, yes. we're prone to accents. You know, we're very error prone. We are. So we make mistakes. We are. Yes. Daily. And, and we all do daily. And yeah. it's interesting that, you know, those of us that understand this, we, we catch ourselves or we're like, oh my God, you know, you kind of realize, woo, that was a close one. Yeah. Many people don't even have that realization, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. They don't realize that was a close one. They don't realize how, you know. And the environment will will breathe that too, you know. Mm-hmm. So if the environment is not set up to uh, help identify things that are risky, then, yeah, team members or employees are just going to kind of walk it off like it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Where in our facility now, I think anything that's a discomfort to them is a big deal, which is we kind of fostered that and made it that way, but – we want to know everything, you know, cause yeah, we'll, we will accept any sort of feedback that they're giving us. Um, and there's, there's always those, those little diamonds every once in a while that they say something like interesting, like, please tell me more about mm-hmm. this. And that's what we want them to do. And Absolutely. Yeah. So it's been working pretty well this year. I love the engagement piece of that too. Yeah. Man. I really think that's, um, um, typically not really formalized and it's not really discussed. No. You know, I don't think most managers have that discussion that you need to be engaging with your employees more. You need to yeah. be, you know, my buddy Aaron Cerrone refers to that like as a temperature check, you know, just out on the floor, out on the job site, just checking in, how are things going? You know, what's going on? You know, I mean, it's almost like, um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, pre-shift hazard analysis yeah. or hazard discussion. Yep. You know, we're going to be doing this today, so look out for this, this, and this. But I'm not sure a lot of people do post-shift how did it go? We do, yeah. Do we, you? Yeah, we, I stole it from when you, we were talking. We had talk, I love that. Yeah. I think that's really underutilized as well. The concept works great, and, I, and it's been a tool that we use to um, really identify a lot of, just a lot of smaller things, but we reward them with, we call them squatch cards, and they get they get money off of, <laughs> for jerky. Squatch? Yeah, yeah. So, I love it. And they love it. Um, they talk about body discomforts because we knew that mm-hmm. there was an issue with uh, our team members letting a, a simple body discomfort manifest into something more serious. So we've gotten a lot of team members who are, hey, my, my wrist hurts, my, or there's, you know, there's mm-hmm. discomfort there. Um, we have a, you know, we have an athletic OPT that comes in now and does our, our early intervention treatment. So once they know now that once they have that sort of discomfort, they're going to get taken care of, oh, you good. know, appropriately. So mm-hmm. um, it's just, yeah, it's if you cir- if if you just circle around just more of the human factor of safety and not the compliance part of it, you're going to you're going to yield better results. Yeah, no doubt. Guarantee. And I I, I and we've talked about this offline on here that safety people focus solely on compliance. And I'm like, why are you focused solely on compliance? There's no reason why you are still looking at lockout tagout. There's there should be zero reason. Mm-hmm. And and it's the people yeah. that we're here to to serve, not. OSHA, yeah. you know. Well, and, that's a great that's a great point. Yeah. And so that, you know, so the SIF stuff, we can revisit this at yeah. some point in the future. I think it's really interesting. I would recommend that if you are interested in this stuff, check out the Campbell Institute white paper, yep. the DECRA information on YouTube, and get a, get a sense for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is something that everybody needs to be doing yes. in some capacity capacity absolutely and there there should be it should be um there should be a, a really big investigation involved mm-hmm. in that and there should be you know ac- or reasonable actionable items that can be yeah um well then let's talk then about what you just said uh-oh. uh this whole you know the focus on compliance right let's just talk about in general i mean you you'd made you'd made a reference earlier about overcomplicating safety let's just talk about that that concept i mean 
I agree with you completely that many of the compli- many of the safety people that I deal with as a consultant are compliance driven, mm-hmm. which I think we would agree is a mistake. Yeah. You know, it's important. I mean, being compliant is important to some degree, you know, I mean, but you know, if that's more heavily weighted, you know, compliance is more important to us perhaps than as you, you know, the, 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 um, relational, the cultural piece of this, I don't think you're going to make a lot of progress. Right. You know, there there will be a a limit to how far you can get with that approach. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I, um, the whole point, uh, you know, when I made that first start into safety, that was my biggest flaw too, as I was solely um, stuck on compliance, compliance, compliance. OSHA says this, NFPA says this, code says this. And what I was failing to understand was I was putting in procedures and programs in place without any input from the team members, without any idea of what they have to go through on a day-to-day basis. And you're, you don't get a lot of compliance out of that. Mm-hmm. Ad- adherence from the program and i think we talked about this before but i'm just going to re mm-hmm. refresh this there there are four personality types for um for um uh, i guess adhering to things you know um you have an upholder who's always going to do it no matter what you tell them what to do or her what to do and they will always do it no matter what and that's that's great you always want the upholder you have the questioner who's going to question everything and if it seems too just if you can't answer all the questions of what they believe is that needs to be answered, then they're not going to buy into that. You have the rebel who automatically won't do it. You, you, that's like your 30 year old person. This never mm-hmm. happened to me before. Uh, so I don't want to do this. And then you have the obliger that will always need constant reminder. They do not internally have what it takes to, to do it. They always need some sort of external uh, person. Mm-hmm. Um, if they, if they don't see that the management team is doing it, they're not going to do it. So if you make things too complicated, without any sort of reason, without any input, you're not going to get the uh, questionnaire. You're obviously not going to get the rebel, and the up or the obliger will not do it because his management team is probably not doing it because it's too complicated. So you're at 25% compliance on a good day. Mm-hmm. Or you can make things less complicated. I do like a lot of one-page procedures and mm-hmm. bullet points mm-hmm. because it's easier to read. It makes sense. I got their input on there, and we can at least know that we'll – have about 75% compliance because uh, with everything, and we might have to put in an artificial consequence for the rebel who mm-hmm. doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way that we look at it. So you can complicate things and not really get much adherence, or you can decomplicate things, make it set to standard, get their buy-in on it, um, do a risk analysis, um, uh, let them have a little bit of drift, as long as it's not you know an SIFP-related uh, mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. And then that's a win for them. And and you're you're gonna see better compliance out of that mm-hmm. adherence. It's easy for us as a as a group too. When I hand over a a um you know lockout tagout program to OSHA, if it's less complicated, because then I could say, yep, we do all this stuff, mm-hmm. and they you know so right. And and if it's a little bit too wordy or voluminous, OSHA gets. I, I used to get kind of suspicious. Yeah, I'd take that sixty page lockout tagout program and think there is no way you were doing this. There's dust on it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and and so I, I am a proponent of that as well. I, I'm a firm believer that we overcomplicate a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and your comment about if you guys are if you're still fixated on lockout tagout, you probably you're missing something. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting comment because I would agree. You know, it's kind of like um, like the SIF. You know, we don't want to. 
devote equal time and energy to things that are much less, Low, yeah, less significant impact. or yeah. hazardous. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, we have, man, we really got this, check the fire extinguisher, everything, every month down, you know, we've got that, you know, we got a guy that goes around, there's an initial on there, Yep. like every one of those, and we really, but we're devoting the same time and energy to that as we are to some of these other things. Yeah, so it's the 80-20 rule, you know, we talked about this before, we spend 80% of our time on things that are 20% of the, the issue. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me is just crazy. And I, I've, I've done it before. I fell in that trap before. Mm-hmm. To, if you want to elevate yourself up to not just being a typical safety manager, if you want to elevate yourself to be influential to both, you know, your executive team and the team below you, then you have to step out of the compliance area and you have to be a lot more relationship driven mm-hmm. with, uh, with people not on both sides of, you know, who you report to and who reports to right. you. That's interesting. I, you know, this, um, Aaron Anderson, my buddy, I don't know if you know Aaron, he's the White's Construction Safety Manager. I don't think I'm... You, you'd like him, a real innovative guy, real interesting guy. But, you know, they have created, like, their six key elements. And I think it is basically what you've just described. They have taken all of these different precursors and issues that they deal with, and they've really boiled it down to these six key elements that they think are critical to working safely Mm -hmm. and in their world you know they're a general contractor they build buildings typically in their world you know one of the things that i found really interesting about his list of six key elements one of them is always the um you know we are going to stop unsafe work Mm -hmm. whenever we see it you know that's just key element number one perfect yeah perfect that's exactly what we want stop unsafe work figure out what the hell's going on correct it address it but one of the things they have is um they put in at least relatively permanent walkways because one of their biggest issues is getting their guys from the parking lot or the field or the dirt, whatever, mm-hmm. into the job site. And on a construction site, you know, they're walking over rough terrain and perhaps mud and, and you know, just irregularities. And, and there's probably uh, traffic, material handling, equipment, movement, whatever, job, you know, the stage, job site, you know, all of that stuff. And so they, at the very beginning, they put in a permanent walkway. That's So awesome. the guys can get from the parking lot to the job site without hurting themselves. That's awesome. I, I thought so, too. The concept because, is so cool. And it's so simple. Yeah. You know? And if you take that away, I mean, everybody would hate that because they mm-hmm. got so, and that's, that's but you're, you're building this. Yeah. And I think that, as you said, yeah, these guys are going to think, oh, this is, this is nice. Yeah. I'm used to crawling over shit to get into yeah. work every morning and walking through the mud and all that crap. But, you know, we have put in this walkway, and now I can get into work easily and do my thing, whatever. One of the things that we take for granted, It seems very simple. Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, the overcomplication thing. But I think that is kind of – it manifests itself in newer, less experienced safety people. Yeah, absolutely. The the focus on compliance, because I don't know anything else, you know? Mm -hmm. All I know is I've got this book of things that tells me to do, and I'm going to focus on that. It's no different than a new compliance officer. Oh, yeah. You get a new OSHA <laughs> compliance officer, and all they can see is what's in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, and you get a seasoned veteran, and I'm not, you know, casting aspersions at his age, but Phil or Brian or some of those guys, the guys that have been doing it for a while, Mikey, yep. you know, when he was doing I mean, they, they look past just that basic black and white compliance. Yeah. And they're looking for 
you know, those attitude things, the cultural piece. I mean, they don't regulate that, but you sense it mm-hmm. and you respond to it as a compliance officer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's different. That is. And yeah, that's, that's so true. And I mean, even new safety people, uh, we have a safety manager um, that there was an injury that happened there. He was very upset because he didn't tell the safe, the team member that got injured. She didn't tell him that he, he was going to go to the doctor and he, he decided to go. And after a couple of days of him getting injured or her getting injured, I'm sorry. And um, so he called me very upset. Like he broke protocol. I want to write him or write her up. I said, you know, I understand that. I said, what did you do in that meantime? While that they were, that mean, did you go check on her? Did you go follow up? Did you, what were you doing? Well, nothing. I said, so why are you mad that she didn't call you? Because it seemed like she was going to go anyways. So what would have, what's the big issue at this point in time? Mm-hmm. What you failed to do was just to do, show basic compassion towards somebody who, even if you don't think that they're injured, it's, a, it's not our job to determine whether they are or not. So I said, the whiff was, and I said, I, I know you're not going to like this, but you didn't do the steps necessary to ensure that she wouldn't need to go see the doctor. Right. That's where our failure is at. And I think that's where we fail a lot. We, we lack that personal relationship side, that compassion, that empathy. Um, and, and we need to get that. If we want to see this, this big change in safety, if we want to rebrand what safety needs to be more progressive, um, we need to get out of that old compliance mindset where I'm just, I'm only going out to the floor to check on this, 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 this. I'm going back to my office to do an armchair analysis. Like, right. Get your butt right. <laughs> on the freaking floor, you know, and, and talk to people, get to know them. I, I wanted to cuss a lot more, but you know, I'll, I'll do that in our one-on-ones when I call you, Yeah, I, but it just, it, that's one of my biggest pet yeah, peeves. I, I get that, you know, and I think that, yeah, I think hopefully that will come with time as, as safety professionals mature and, and gain experience and an understanding and an appreciation, but I still see it. Yeah. You know, I still see it out there. I still see a lot of people making it more complicated than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. But I think that is just a response to being overwhelmed at times. Yeah. You know, not really appreciating, you know, what is important. And so, yes, being compliant is important. It is. You know, there is a certain risk to not being compliant, you know, and it is a basic level of focus that we can, everybody can give, you know. But as you said earlier, if you go in and say, well, OSHA says we have to do this. I think you've lost a lot of people in the conversation. You've lost the CFO. You've yep. lost the CEO. It's you know, a, I mean, you've lost a lot of people. Yeah, we're, we're taking ownership of safety for the company, for Jack Link. So I'm not going to speak on behalf of OSHA. I can tell you what what's probably within the, the regs, mm-hmm. but I'm never going to say OSHA says this. I'm going to say this is what I believe that we can do mm-hmm. um, from everything that I've read. Mm-hmm. I never <laughs> use the word OSHA. Mm-hmm. I'm always, you know, because I'm selling my product, my programs, mm-hmm. uh, my knowledge. I'm not selling somebody else's knowledge, the government's knowledge in particular right. on yeah. how they should. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't do that. So, um, yeah, I, I that's always been my philosophy uh, probably from when I – after I left Hornaday, I, I would say that would have been my shift. Um, uh, as far as, um, how I viewed safety, mm-hmm. uh, Hornaday was still very compliance driven. Um, but Hornaday also had a really strong culture that backed up safety. So mm-hmm. I, I never really saw the, di- or the need to kind of change my behavior until I got to another place. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, this isn't the same. Co- I cannot attack this the same way. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's a great point too. Every, every, 
facility, every job site, every company is going to be different. Yep. And that attitude is going to be different. It has to be approached differently. That's why I have to be on the floor. We have to observe what 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 is mm-hmm. what do they um, what is uh, I guess okay in in their minds as far you know they may have where people are can address things one on one. They may have where they need more influence from the top, and so that's what you need to figure out because you don't want to go in there, piss a bunch of people off, and now they're not buying into your programs, right. and then you're kind of how every safety person gets they get they get completely burnt out because they feel like there's no support mm-hmm. from the top or from anybody, and they leave. That's interesting. Yeah, that that is a great point. We should actually, you know, do an episode on just manipulating our 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 bosses. You yeah, know? maybe that's. I Not should bring right my word. wife in here since she has she's, she's the, you the know, psychologist. She's, yeah, right? she's the she's the one with the um, the the verbal uh, judo is mm-hmm. what I call it. You mm-hmm. know, but it is true. I mean, you know, trying to gain some type, you know, um, that executive champion, whether mm-hmm. that be the CFO, the CEO, COO, whatever the acronyms might be, trying to get a ch- a, a champion of for working safely is the goal, yeah. and they they should all be champions. Yeah. You talked about it earlier, retention. I mean, the impact on retention that much of what we do has, even that just the interpersonal you know, yeah. the interaction, you know, how that affects retention yeah. is really, that, that should be something the HR director is all in favor mm-hmm. of, right? We love this safety stuff because it helps us keep people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Not just keep them whole, but just keep them on site yeah. as much as anything. It helps with everything, quality and safety and all yeah, that kind man. of stuff. Yeah, man. Why don't we get paid more, damn it? You know? I, I think mean, Jack Links pays me. They <laughs> pay you pretty well. Okay, why doesn't Fletcher Safety pay me better? Maybe that's my beef here. Well, man, um, anything else on your mind? One thing. So we, we're starting to unsafe acts and unsafe conditions reporting because we know near miss is just too, it's too broad. People don't understand it. I, mm-hmm. I've talked to a bunch of, Safety people, I've talked to a bunch of managers, said, give me your definition of a near miss and how I would apply it here. Mm-hmm. And it's always, they don't really know. Like, it's something that could have occurred. I said, so you know how subjective that is. Because mm-hmm. we're trying to uh, trying to under, or say take our minds and impl- or put it into a team member who probably doesn't give a crap, you know, as long as they're getting paid and get break times and all that. So I said, the easiest thing that we can do, under, which is underneath the Heinrichs pyramid, is to identify unsafe acts or unsafe conditions. And what we do know is that if there's one unsafe act or one unsafe condition, the chances of, of an incident occurring is pretty low. The time that we marry both those two together, the chances of incidents increases substantially. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I run through the plant, pretty low. Now, if I add forklift traffic going in here and I'm just running through, my chances of me getting hit by a forklift mm-hmm. increases a lot. Yeah. So... Uh, it can be two unsafe acts, it can be two unsafe conditions, it can be one or the other. And we, we're setting this out to, um, and we're going to train the team members to kind of identify which one or the other. Mm-hmm. We'll have incentive programs for that as well. Mm-hmm. But we put together a QR code that, that all they have to do is scan it on their phone. It pops up. They easy, It's like four questions, get submitted, and it gets sent to me in Smartsheet so I can see an actual like Excel sheet of what's going on so we can start mm-hmm. tracking this now. We, we just got the QR code um, yesterday, and so we're going to roll this out next period. Um, but we're super excited about this one because this is going to be another leading in- indicators initiative for 2022. Nice. That, we've, you know, that we're just going to continue to build up on. So. I think you're right. I think just the, the, the vagueness of the term near miss has really, if not defeated, made incredibly difficult mm-hmm. that entire program. 
capturing near misses. Yeah. You know, I hear everybody talk about it. We all want to capture near misses. Yeah. But we don't know what the hell that it's means. It's lagging, too. And so, but they Well, can, that is true. And they can, they can point out when somebody runs up the stairs, or they can point out when a, when a team member is uh, operating too close to uh, what they believe is too close to them uh, with a forklift. They can point out that there's wood pallet chips all over the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's easy. That's super easy for them to mm-hmm. point out. Um, that's objective at that point mm-hmm. in time. So they can send that up. They get incentives on this, uh, gift cards, uh, squash cards, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, gives us an opportunity to to address those, to once again continue to communicate and be consistent. And, yeah, we're just we're golden, cool. man. And so what are you calling that now? Our unsafe acts, unsafe conditions. And um, so and so does it necessitate that there be two? If there, or one of each, if you, or if you, you just can, realize. If you can, yeah, if you can find one or the other, because our job is to try to keep eliminating as many of those as possible. I gotcha. Okay. So, that makes sense. Yeah. So, again, man, I, I don't make, get any money from Make You Safe. I probably should, but this is something. So, this I'm going to hook you up with Tom's. Yeah. Because one of the things that Make You Safe does, this little wearable device, mm-hmm. has a little recording option. So, while it is monitoring um, environmental factors and motion and other indicators, if I see something, I can just, boop, you know, push a little button. You know, there's a bunch of wood chips on the floor in Section 24. and That's beautiful. It gets That's uploaded, awesome. goes right to whomever the recipient is intended to be, you or whomever that would be. And so people can give what, I, I guess, real time is not quite precise, but, you know, they can quickly You lessen give, the lag time. Yes, yeah, so you lessen the, lessen the lag time. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, I'm for wrong. sure. I think the cough medicine is getting to my <laughs> stumbling on. I want to just go on record as saying I've had three negative COVID tests in like the last week. I had COVID and I've I've been vaccinated, so I think I'm like double, you know, like antibody yeah. up. So I'm good. Time I'm to get good. that booster shot, Dan. Got time to get the booster shot now too. So exactly, I'm going to get it right in like the carotid artery. <laughs> you're just I like think. you're going to bypass the R. I just like go on straight blade, to the, you know, yeah. the you know, I want it quicker. So, yeah, man. So. Oh, this is a lot to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always tired after we get done talking, man, because um, there's a lot to think about. You guys are doing a lot of really yeah. innovative things, and that's really what I appreciate you about you is you are a student of this profession, mm-hmm. which most people are not, let's be honest. I I, I, I have fun doing this. This is, yeah. I, I mean, this is probably the most fun I have. Hornaday, super fun. Mm-hmm. Loved Hornaday, and mm-hmm. it was so much fun. Jack Link, super fun. Good for you. Um, give you a long leash to do things mm-hmm. because you you sell a product that you believe in. They'll give you a longer leash, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't, Absolutely. Don't fall under the trap. And then just show results. Show results. I mean, that's it. That's the simple. results you were talking about earlier, man, they, you know, man, what, yeah. what better way can you gain support from management then show them results yeah. nick saban results not scott frost results you know <laughs> not like <laughs> hey, hey like it looked really good at the time but we yeah. just you know didn't I, execute i i have uh i'm hopeful about the michigan game i am too michigan's playing really well right now yeah. unfortunately but I, i'm yeah and this is not a sports podcast otherwise we'd have a lot more listeners <laughs> but i i do i am excited about the game i, I think too. nebraska yeah, really too. found something last week yeah you know and if nothing else other than confidence Confidence Which is, is huge. Incredibly powerful, particularly in a college-level activity, any activity. Yeah. Safety, you name it. Yeah. I mean, confidence is really yep. critical. At, or establishing culture. Exactly. That's it, man. Yeah. For everything. Everything. I On, can be a coach now for Nebraska. <laughs> that's right, man. And um, 
while Jack Links, I know, pays you well, that you probably make a little bit more money down there. I might make a little bit I more I think money. the strength coach. Now, at one time, I wanted to be a strength coach, like 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. I thought that'd be kind of fun. I have a, I actually have a kid I grew up with in uh, Omaha many, many years ago who became a strength coach, and he was at Ohio State for a while. Oh, nice. Wow. When I was out there going to graduate school. And um, I think strength coaches make three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a year now. That's awesome. To set up, you know, programs for these Bench athletes that, yeah. that are gonna I mean, these are the these are the top level of athletes at the university on the planet. You yeah. know, these eighteen to twenty two year old dudes, anything that you have them do is is gonna I know is gonna work. Like you see that heavy you thing, know? you go lift it. Yeah, lift that, eat that. Yes. Well, look at you, you're bigger and faster. <laughs> Success. I mean, I could do that. That's awesome. Anyway, I, I think we're getting a little. Uh, I did. I did. We're tell drifting my, a little. Yeah, bit. I did tell my son I'm going to give him a shout out on here. So okay, Behringer. Yeah, I'm going to give Behringer a shout out. He has a football game on Saturday, so he's really pumped. So is, that, is he playing flag? He's now playing or flag tackle, football. Or? He loves it. He's doing a great job. So flag football. His name is Behringer. Yeah. Oh, that's I like that man. Yeah. Flag football was the most fun of any sport for in, for my boys. Mm-hmm. You know, throughout, I mean, then they went on to play tackle football and baseball and other, you know, other sports. But that little window of flag football is the it's, best. It's fun, isn't it? It is the best. Yeah, you can see them and you can see that they're happy. And they're just excited and they're, you know. What's really good about this conversation right now, Doug, is this is how you build relationships up with your team. We're not talking about safety. Mm-hmm. We're talking about things that are just fun and, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it's light in the mood. And then stuff will end up kind of falling out of their mouths as mm-hmm. you continue to talk. It does. And yeah, so this is how you do it, you know. Find yeah. out what they like, talk to it. That's a great lesson. And, and you weren't here, uh, it may have been even Pat or Sasha back in the day, but I had a guest many, many months ago, Jackie Palachek, who is a an elementary school teacher at Wheeler Elementary. Oh, she yeah. was the fourth grade teacher for both of my boys. And she was both of my boys' favorite teacher. And they still go visit her when they come back to town. That's They'll awesome. They'll go to Wheeler and, you know, visit Mrs. Palachek. And that's exactly what she described. She just gets to know her students. Yes. You know, and so when they come in the morning, she knows. How was your soccer game, Johnny? Yeah. Or, you know, Doug, how was your pro- meeting with your probation officer? <laughs> or whatever, you know. But What? <laughs> you know, she – and it's – you know, when she described it, it was simple. Yeah. It made perfect sense, but we make it so complicated sometimes. There is no secret formula to being a good safety manager, safety specialist, whatever you want to, you know, whatever your title is. It's being relationship-driven with your team yeah, and, and being confident with, with anything that you're selling. So. That's it. I love it. I think that's a great note to close on, man. Yeah. Cody, always a pleasure, Yeah, buddy. it was fun. It's good to see you. Thank you for uh, – there, there's a lot of information to unpack in there. Yeah. So. We'll talk about some more of these things and, and see how things are going. For sure. In a few months. Yeah, let's follow up. Cam, thanks, man. Have a nice thanks, weekend. Yeah, Appreciate guys. it. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Just, and as Cody is alluding, just remember why we do this. You know, we get hung up on some of this OSHA stuff and some of these other programmatic issues and things. Just remember why you do this. It's for those people that we are charged with serving, and uh, the rest will fall into place. So have a great weekend. Thanks to the sponsors and our supporters, and we'll talk to you next week. Later. A Huda Media Production.